and welcome to another uh, class in the bunker. Uh, I, I was realizing the other day, again, I, I, as we've been going through the pandemic here, we're, sometimes we're about zoomed out. We just have so many other things. So I'm, I'm very aware that when, when you take time to, to uh, spend some time with us for uh, you know, 35 or 40 minutes, uh, you're taking time out from a lot of other things, and thank you. Thank you for doing that. And uh, again, I appreciate when you hit like on this thing, and a uh, number of you have been sharing it to your page as well. Thank you. It kind of gets uh, the, the word out, So, and then telling us where you're coming from. So, Okay, that said, well, as, as we uh, get along here, this idea of, of being uh, broken is, is quite a, an idea. Uh, very often, uh, I will talk to people uh, that, that just believe that at this point in their life, they're just completely broken. And broken means I was here, I was doing fine, and now I'm busted. Something is broken, and I don't know that I will get it back. Events have happened to me in my life, or my faith is struggling, uh, or I just have these chronic uh, pains that are hitting me, or my kids are doing this thing or that thing, or my spouse is doing this or whatever. We're just busted and broken and don't know exactly uh, where to turn, and that, that's a scary place. Um, but along those lines, here's, here's something that I generally ask uh, these days in return as I've been looking a little more closely at this, and, and it would be this. If, let me ask you a question. When you're thinking about the fact that you're broken uh, or that you just can't seem to get back to where you were, question, do you A, want to be fixed in other words, do we want to get you completely back to being the person that you were? Almost like we're going to restore a, a couch back to its pristine, original look. Or a 68 Mustang, we're going to re make it look just like the original. Do you want to be fixed? Or, B... Would you rather be recreated into a newer, happier you? Think about that for a second. Stay the same, become newer and improved. Um, when, I was, when I was growing up, one of the, the TV shows that was out there, and some of you are going to remember this, was the, the Six Million Dollar Man. You know, and you would, you would see it starting off with Steve Austin and here he is and he's been in this horrible accident and they're going to fix him but the voiceover would always say we can make him better we can make him stronger we're going to spend six million dollars and make him better and stronger think Captain America we're going to take this scrawny kid and make him better I don't think that Captain America would want to go back to being the small scrawny kid. He'd want to be the one that over time got stronger and better. Well, the reality is, is that the Lord doesn't intend when we're broken to just take us back to where we were. We don't want to be there, especially as we've gone through the events that have caused us at the moment to think that we're broken. The reality is that 
when, when, it come, when you look at the God of creation, when, when you look at our heavenly parents and what it is that they did, and we're going to talk a bit about this today, there's no real such thing as the creation, period. That moment in time where the creation happened and then the creative process completely ended forever and ever, amen. There's no such thing as a creation. Mortality and eternal life are filled with continuing creations. The Lord is constantly creating and recreating. He doesn't leave us where we are. He recreates us. And then later on, He'll recreate us again. He doesn't leave us broken and then restore us back to where we were. We are broken and he recreates us into somebody even stronger because of some of the things that we have been through that act almost as an additional spiritual uplift and additional knowledge and understanding in our quiver that have improved us over time. Okay? God wants to recreate us, not restore us all the way back to the original version. So, when, when we read in the scriptures, particularly in Revelations, and it talks about a new heaven and a new earth, he's not talking about restoring it to make it back to Eden. A new heaven and a new earth are merely stages in endless eternal growth, creating and recreating each additional light and knowledge bring to us additional moving forward. That's what we're after. We want this additional change. Now, for a lot of us, that's uncertain. We don't know what, we know who we are. We have some knowledge about how life works and whether it's fair or unfair or comfortable or uncomfortable. It's familiar and we know our world in which we live. And so there's always a certain amount of uncertainty and doubt about what comes next when we're recreated. And by the way, stay tuned for next week when we start talking about that, uh, that uh, uncertainty and maybe what we're looking for because certainty might just be overrated uh, and, and the beautiful thing about sometimes having doubts and be with us next time we talk about doubts. Um, but this, this whole idea of continual light and knowledge that brings us more information, but then that changes us over time, and we're going to be in a continual, eternal recreation. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, let, 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 me, give you, let me give you a quick look at this. Whenever I'm trying to understand the scriptures... I'm always looking for patterns. And you watch patterns that play out over and over and over. And when you see the Lord doing the same thing in other places, pull back, do the drone's eye view and go, what is that teaching me about how God works and how he does things? And then look for other places that that pattern plays out. And that's how we're taught the real power of the scriptures is by pulling back and seeing the divine patterns and consistency that among different people and times and places. But you see the similarity about how 
the creator recreates. So let's, let's look at this for a second. So I want to show you just a, a couple of places just for get the, to get us started. There's an old creation and there's a new creation. And then what's going to happen is that there's going to be this old creation and then there's going to be a moment of um, darkness and chaos while that creation is taking place. And the result will be a new creation after the darkness. So there's going to be some benefit to the darkness. Let's look at where those show up. One of those places would be um, we have Lehi in Israel. And uh, bless Lehi's heart, uh, he is in a world that is fast collapsing. The Babylonians have already conquered it. Uh, in another few years, they're going to come back after battling Egypt and completely level uh, Jerusalem. And it's just descending into chaos. So you get this period of darkness and chaos. And what happens is that we get this new creation. Lehi emerging in the new world. And he says we have, we've been given a promised land. And we get to recreate Israel. Where we had the 12 tribes over here. We now have the 7 tribes of Lehi here. And we get to do it again. The Lord has recreated all of this. And we've crossed the chaos of the water and the darkness to, to get to the, the new world. Let me give you another one. Um, as, as the Book of Mormon descends into 3rd Nephi, we get this deterioration that things are falling apart and the government is falling apart and the people are becoming increasingly more wicked and it's just getting worse. And then what happens? Just as they were told it would happen, the new world ends up in darkness and chaos. So dark that they couldn't see things for three, for three days. And it's a darkness you can feel. Hold on to that idea. We're about to see that again. What emerges on the other side of the darkness and chaos that came after the death of Christ? We're going to get the new Nephites. Fourth Nephi is, is not about Nephites that fight and argue, but these new Nephites love one another and pull together and there are no more ites. Out of the darkness and chaos, the Nephite nation has been recreated into something better and stronger. Okay? How about another one? Noah, pre-flood. That's that's a pretty wicked world where where the Lord is kind of throwing up his hands and going, we've done everything for these guys. Uh, and Noah says, I've been trying to preach and they're not listening to me either. And what happens is, as a result of that level of wickedness, the world descends into the chaos of water uh, and loss and, and there's a darkness there with the storms. What emerges on the other side of that is Noah's world after with rainbows and, and a, and a uh, righteous lineage moving forward. It's not perfect. They're going to have to be recreated again and again. But that darkness and chaos will be the forerunner of a time when things can be better. Okay? 
Think about the ministry of Jesus where he's going to be preaching. They're going to, to take him. They're going to put him on trial. They will torture him. They will put him on the cross and he will die. And, and the world for hours will be plunged into darkness and chaos. At a class last year, we talked about the importance of sacred Saturday, that period of gloom and darkness where after the death of the Savior but before his resurrection, there was a sacred Saturday of doubt. Again, leading to the discussion on doubt we're going to have next week. But there's a period of doubt and loss. Is he coming back? We don't know. He said he would. We've never seen that happen before. There is Lazarus, but this is worse. Um, and we just don't know. And so they struggle with that. And the and then on, on that resurrection morning, there is a glorious resurrection. There is light that is piercing the darkness. And Jesus emer emerges victorious. And death and sin has been conquered. But only after the darkness and chaos and he descends down in to those people that died in the flood to bring them forward and bring them home like he promised he would. Okay? That is, you watch this pattern. Things get worse. The darkness and chaos comes. Doesn't seem like, seems like now it's getting worse. Guess what? We get the, the resurrection on the other side. It gets better. One other one. We're studying uh, church history this year. Um, think about the saints in Nauvoo. They had they'd lived, they got to Nauvoo after the period of darkness in Far West. They recreated a city as they had always done. They recreated communities from New York to Ohio, from Ohio to Missouri, from Missouri to Far West, from Far West to Illinois and to Nauvoo and each time there is a disruption and a chaos and a recreation of something even better each time. So here's the saints in Nauvoo, lovely city, wonderful city. Joseph and Hiram are killed. It descends into chaos. Then what happens? The blessings of the temple. And they take that blessing, they walk through the darkness and chaos of a, of a people strewn across a thousand miles of prairie. And then they arrive in the Great Basin and rebuild and recreate again. The, the saints in the Great Basin in many ways were not the saints of Nauvoo. They had been transformed and changed into hardier, more uh, constructive people, and the church had a place to go throughout all the world uh, from the Great Basin. So there's always this recreation process. Uh, Parley Pratt, uh, bless his heart, the, the Pratt brothers, Orson and Parley, uh, loved to prophesy a lot, and they wrote a lot, and they were prolific, and I love, I love Parley's writings. Uh, but Parley was very, very much a man of 
the 1800s. A man of his time. And you get a sense about what they were thinking at that time as they're setting up Nauvoo and then they're setting up Salt Lake and, and that. And, and Parley Pratt made the, made the, the uh, point, speaking of the church, there is no new thing. There is only the old thing. In other words, what he's saying is we don't have anything new in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is just the old church brought back. It's just a restoration of Jesus' church, the old thing. Well, bless his heart. If you, if you heard that we're going to build 20 more temples and we're edging towards 200 temples, the church we live in is not the old, is not the old thing. This church that exists today across the, the, the globe and the power with which and the amount of, the, of understanding and light and knowledge with President Nelson at the head of this thing and the revelations and inspiration and reorganization continues to come. We're not sitting in the old thing. This church has never existed ever until now. This is not the church that Paul sat in in little house churches all over the Mediterranean trying to figure it out. We have the benefit of all of these years of questions from prophets and answers and revelation to questions that advance our light and knowledge and understanding. And I promise you, I promise you, if the church is still here a hundred years from now, it will look different. The core gospel will be the same, but the church structure and additional light and knowledge will have come to the earth. And it won't look the same. It will be fundamentally different, though the gospel will be untouched. Because the church will advance to meet the, the challenges that will exist 10 years from now, 50 years from now. It just will, and it does, and it will look different. So it's not up to us to hold on to the old thing. The church is being recreated on a regular basis, and we're grateful for that. We're blessed by that, to be in a church that continues to be remade and redone in response to the challenges in front of it. The church will need to remake itself as we roll out of this pandemic uh, to a place that is able to reach out to those we will have lost during this darkness, this period of not being able to meet together the way that we want to. And we're going to be going on a great reclamation project. Go get those handcarts. Go get those families that we no longer see in our midst. How do we do it? And what kind of church will be waiting for them? Will there be new music? Will there be new structure? Will there be new programs? <laughs> do we finally get to find out about Mother in Heaven and what happened there? That'd be awesome. Uh, we just don't know what will be revealed, but it will be different from what we have now as prophets ask questions and get answers. Okay, so... How then does this work? And, and, and so let me give you an example, I think, of, of how this really kind of comes into play. 
I, I heard a uh, Christian pastor talking the other day, and he said that uh, he sent his son off to Sunday school. His son's about 10. And he picks him up after, and he says, Son, what did you learn in Sunday school today? And his son rolls his eyes, and he says, You cannot believe the story they told us. He said, There was a group of people that uh, were being chased in the desert by an army. And they get to an ocean. Yeah. Then what happens? <laughs> God sends a wind and blows, blows a path through the ocean. Can you believe that? And they walk right through because this wind is blowing on the ocean. Wow. Then what happened? Oh, then it gets better. Once they get on the other side, the army follows them, and then God stops blowing on the water, and it just crashes in on them. How, how dumb is that? And so here, here's this Christian pastor having to say very carefully uh, to his son, um, it's true. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. Really? Yeah. That's, in some ways, that's not that far away from saying, we love that we have a Book of Mormon. Well, where'd the Book of Mormon come from? Well, there was a boy that looked in a hat at a rock. And he saw the words there, and they wrote it down, and that's the Book of Mormon. Wow, really? Well, yeah, he did have some big glasses he could use, really old ones, but he decided to use a rock that he had, that he found in a well. And we're grateful for that. You can see where people, both inside the church, those struggling with the church, and new members and prospective members looking in saying, uh, head in a hat looking at a rock. <laughs> Sounds amazing, but it doesn't, but it's actually not any that more far fetched, if you think about it, than God blows on the water and it clears a path through an ocean. And people are walked through on dry ground. Well, that's weird too. So, so this idea of when we're looking in the scriptures at these stories, we have to look at those and be able to see the bigger picture because to a young boy in a Sunday school class, this ain't making a lot of sense. Why would God do that? Seems like there's other ways to solve the problem. And if, unless you pull back and see what God was really doing in Exodus. Well, l let me show you what actually he was doing in Exodus. Because so we've been talking a bit about Moses. Moses is, is uh, remember, he's called at the burning bush, and the Lord is going to say to him, Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, which we talked about last time, um, has appeared to me, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I have surely marked what, it, what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up from the abuse of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, that sounds pretty good. And they... Israel will heed your voice and you shall come you and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt 
and together you shall say to Pharaoh, The Lord God of the Hebrews, Yahuwah, happened upon us, and so let us go, pray, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And you remember, Pharaoh wasn't having any of that. But the original goal, let my people go so that they can sacrifice into the wilderness. Now, we look at that and we, li- we listen to the story. We're not Israelite. We're not of the ancient Hebrews. This meant something to them. And the subsequent events meant a tremendous amount to them. What did it mean? Well, let, let me show you how this works. They would have realized that what was occurring here was another remaking, another recreation. Of what? Well, in Exodus 10, in the middle of the plagues, and each one of the plagues, and I'm not going to take time to do it, but the plagues correspond to the days of creation in Genesis. And they were very aware that something is happening here that has echoes to Genesis and days of creation. And here's one of those. The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand uh, over the heavens that there be darkness upon the land of Egypt, a darkness one can feel. Oh, wait a minute. We've heard about a darkness so dark you can feel it. Yes, this is, that's what was happening to the Nephites. And it was actually copying what had happened to the Israelites. This would have been a story from Torah that they would have known. It's a darkness you can feel. The chaos is occurring. A recreation is underway. And Moses stretched out his hand over the heavens and there was pitch dark in all the land of Egypt three days and no one saw his fellow and no one rose from where he was for three days the three sacred Saturdays if you will of what is going on darkness except all the Israelites had light in their dwelling places that was incredibly telling you'd say why well let's go to Genesis when God began to create heaven and earth and the earth was welter and waste and darkness over the deep I love Robert Alter's phrasing of this and God's breath think of the wind God's breath hovering over the waters God said let there be light and there was light and God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness to those Hebrews sitting at home watching darkness over the Egyptians and light over the land of Goshen where they lived they saw the separation of light and darkness 
and they would have known, their elders would have known, this is Genesis happening over again. There is a recreation underway here. This was not an accident. They would have understood that with the locusts and the lice and the frogs and the, and the uh, water being turned into blood, all of this was God, the God of creation uh, showing power over his elements, over the power of the gods of the Egyptians. So this was a recreation going on. So in, in essence, what was really happening here? Well, what was happening here was the fact that we have to remember that with Adam and Eve in Genesis, Adam and Eve are cast out. And, and once they're in the lone and dreary world in the wilderness, they are taught to sacrifice. And then they're taught what it means there's going to be a moment where they're now going to learn in the midst of the wilderness that they sacrifice and they're going to be taught about God, their creator. And then what happens? They're going to take that knowledge and they're going to march forward into the world where from time to time they will sacrifice again. There will be all recreations over and over and over with that knowledge that they're supposed to continue to sacrifice. Well, look at what the Lord was telling Moses that he needed to do with the Israelites, and they're trying to tell Pharaoh who is pushing back. What they're saying is, is that the Israel is in Egypt. It's in the world. We're going to reverse this thing. We're going to go from, instead of from here to here, we're going to go back only recreated better broader more powerful we can make him stronger okay Israel and Egypt where they're going to be taught to sacrifice and be taught at Mount Sinai that's why the golden calf at Sinai is so bad because they they were trying to change the sacrifice into something from that they'd learned in Egypt they were making it an Egypt sacrifice. And the Lord says, no, it needs to be the way that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sacrificed and the way your forefathers sacrificed, not the way the Egyptians would do it to their, to their God of gold, to Anubis. Okay? Once they're going to do that, in this case, they're, they're gonna, it takes them 40 years to get this right, obviously, but they're going to be sacrificed and taught, and then after 40 years, they then enter the promised land. In other words, they have been remade. They have, they have become like Adam and Eve, supposedly going back to a paradisical land, but this one they have to fight for, and this one turns out from time to time, it'd be, it'd be wonderful if they were obedient, they weren't, and they will be recreated by the Babylonians, and recreated by the Greeks, and recreated by the Romans, recreated by the world, by the Nazis. There's a constant recreation going on with the children of Israel. But ultimately there will be a new creation where they will be restored and returned uh, to their land. To the same, better. It will be rebuilt better this time.
So, uh, if we start to kind of pull this together, what do we take from all of this? This idea of a creation and then a constant recreating as we see God's work in the, in the midst of recreations constantly. Well, here's what we see. Just like clay on the potter's wheel, the Lord intends to make and remake us over and over. Sometimes the clay on the potter's wheel starts to fall apart. It has too many impurities and you pull it off. You pull the impurities out. You break it down into a lump and then you turn the wheel again and you start to reform it. Okay? Until you get it right and you start with the inner vessel and work out. Okay? It, he intends to make and remake us until we're able to dwell with him. Until we're fired uh, from the potter's wheel. Okay? So he intends to remake us constantly. When we talk about those periods of darkness where we feel like we're broken, yeah, we do feel like we're broken and we're brought back to the potter's wheel to be restored to the old stuff? No. Remade better, stronger, different. Acts of love, things like the sacrament, the temple. All of these are actions where we allow ourselves to slowly, continually be recast and reformed and reshaped into what? Eternal beings that are comfortable and joyful in the presence of our heavenly parents. This this process of being made and remade and remade and remade is just is a continuous process until we're there. We never are really kind of landing. That's why the idea of a judgment day, whatever we may view of judgment day, is one remaking. It's one recreation of where we are at that moment. Then we are recreated and after judgment day, we continue on with our progress, being reshaped and reformed continuously. It is not an ending point. It is one stop in many creations along the way. Finally then, to do that, we are called upon, the Lord would implore us to let go of past ways of thinking about ourselves, about maybe the way that we've done things, about the way that we've been treated, about the way that things that we wish we had done differently. Even the things that have happened in the past with the church or in history, as we let go of those of all of those thinking, the Lord is going to reveal to us new light and knowledge to our hearts and remake our hearts. So that instead of being stony places where the seed can't find purchase, it's going to be made, remade into a new heart that with the with the, the law written on our heart that's a recasting of of our love for him that's why it is over and over and over and I'll leave you with this Jesus said over and over to his disciples you have heard it said in ancient days or you have heard 
meaning this is what you were taught growing up or this is what you read in Torah or you know you have heard or what you heard from the Dead Sea Scroll whatever it is okay from what the Essenes told you you have heard and then he will always say but I say unto you and then here comes the new thing in Christ that is different from the old thing better stronger happier we weep for you when you're broken and we look forward to your recreation for the new you that emerges better and recreated the Lord loves us and he loves us enough to continue to recreate us I bear you my witness that the Lord intends us to be different and stronger and better I pray that we can do that and I leave that with you in Jesus name Amen